on, guys? My name is David Gibson, and I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast. And if this is your first experience ever with the podcast, I am officially a student assistant athletic communications guy at the University of Southern, Southern Indiana. Excuse me, I can't talk. If you couldn't tell by the Tuesday talk that we had, I fumbled over my words. I couldn't even English the other day. It was so weird. But um, anyway, if this is your first experience with SIDcast or if this is your 36th experience with SIDcast and you haven't already, go ahead and go, go on over to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and like us at SportsInfoCast. And you can also, you know, go to iTunes and uh, maybe sort of kind of leave a rate or review for us. So my air conditioning just kicked on. I'll do the best I can to get rid of it. But for right now, this is what we've got to work with. But anyway, if you guys ever have any, you know, sort of inquiries, they can all be directed to our email, sportsinfocast at gmail.com. And we'll start off today's episode with uh, just exactly how I kind of got into the, the topic of the discussion we're going to get into, and I kind of prefaced all of this with what we talked about on Tuesday on Social Media Strategy. When, when I was down in uh, Orlando for COSIDA convention, Wednesday was probably my favorite day because it was all about content, and that was something that I've, I've really wanted to kind of learn more about. And so I went to this panel called uh, Social Media Strategy, and it had Ben Stockwell, who is our guest today, uh, the woman from Baylor, I, I can't think of her name right now, it's in the program, but it's buried underneath all my stuff, and then uh, Alan Babbitt, I'm sorry, Alan, if I'm pronouncing your, your name wrong, I know that you are a, a listener of this show, so I saw the three of them, and they all presented on Social Media Strategy, and I, I took probably the most, if not you know, one of the top five, top three most uh, information that I took away from that panel specifically. So when I came back home and I was trying to think about some, you know, guests that I could have on the show, and I was kind of sorting through the ones who had volunteered already. And so I kind of want to mix that in, by the way, so a mixture of volunteers, and then I might have, you know, somebody who wasn't really expecting to be asked. But uh, anyway, I reached out to Ben Stockwell. And he obliged, and we had this great talk, and I believe it's about 56 minutes, 52 minutes long, it looks like. So this is uh, all about social media strategy, along with how he kind of got started in the sports information profession. He went to Ithaca, which is where we will start off today, which does have one of the best sport management as well as communications department in the entire country. And uh he actually never worked for Ithaca. He went to Cornell and then stayed around the Ivy League for a long time before moving on to Castleton and then eventually to where he is now at Assumption. So that is where we will start off today, episode 36 of SIDcast. And we'll talk about Ben Stockwell's time at Ithaca College here on SIDcast. It's up there. It's pretty well known, and then the school of communications is is pretty well known as well. So that kind of like perfectly tied in with, with uh, what you were trying to do. I mean, when you first got to Ithaca, uh, what and how did you come about learning about the sports information profession? How did you first get into it? I mean, spare no detail. It really, you know, like most SIDs, athletic communications people, it's kind of a random roundabout way I think it was sophomore year I was meeting with my advisor trying to figure out I had to do an internship not very long just you know one credit internship I didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. I'm originally from Vermont 
and lived about 30 minutes from Dartmouth College and was like, hey, I wouldn't mind, you know, working there some hours this, you know, at the college, see if I can do something. And my advisor called up um, the person who was at the head of Dartmouth College at the time in the communications office and asked if I could, you know, be an intern, an unpaid intern, just working a few afternoons a week for them. And it just kind of worked out that she's like, okay, he's got to come in for an interview. So I did that um, over my Christmas break or my Easter break, I forget which. But that <laughs> summer I spent uh, three afternoons a week. I drive over uh, to Dartmouth in the afternoon, work in their office doing record keeping and you know various other things. I wrote a few hockey bios. And it was a great introduction to athletic communications. I was like, this is kind of fun. I could do this. And so then uh, my next internship, I um, decided to work at Cornell University. I asked their communications person, did a little interview again as well. And they were great, allowing me to work for them. Uh, Jeremy Hardigan, he's still the head guy there. He was an awesome person to learn under. And just kind of that really is where I started. And I never actually worked in communications at Ithaca, but um, really just at Cornell throughout my undergrad experience. Did the uh, staff at Ithaca ever find out that you were working in sports information and never directly worked with their sports information? I mean, what was their kind of reaction? They did. The uh, Mike Warwick, he was um, the SID at Ithaca at the time. I interviewed with him to talk about possibly doing it as a work-study job, but I already had a work-study um, job doing about 10 to 15 hours a week in the working in the dining hall. Mm-hmm. And at that time in the dining hall, if you worked there as a manager, you got to eat for free there. If you didn't have a, um, if like didn't have a meal plan, you could uh-huh. still eat there. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to do it, but I'm getting free food. <laughs> nice benefit, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and work, work in the dining hall. So I decided, you know what, I, I can't commit to the time commitment for, you know, for Ithaca because I wouldn't be able to do it as solely an internship and a work study, so I, and it was cool to try to get that Division One experience. Personally, I thought at, at Cornell University as well. Yeah, you kind of stuck around the Ivy League there for, for for a little bit. Now that you say that Dartmouth and Cornell, and then you well, you went to Stonehill as an intern, and then you got to be the, the assistant at Penn. I mean, was did you mean to be an Ivy League guy? How did you get the job at Penn? I mean, how did that whole process go during that time of your life? I don't think it was a concerted effort to try to be in the Ivy League, but there was some comfort in terms of, you know, when I was trying to apply to work at Cornell, my boss, Jeremy, he was able to talk to Kathy, who was in, you know, working at uh, mm-hmm. Dartmouth and, you know, got a good read on me. So that kind of got my foot in the door as I'm sure you've talked to many SIDs, kind of getting to know people is how half these things start up. Whether or not mm-hmm. you get the job, it just gets your foot in the door, which is half the battle. So, you know, when I left Stonehill, I was looking for a job, and Penn was one of probably 30 jobs I applied for that summer, trying to find another place to work. And finally, uh, Mike Mahoney gave me a call up uh, for an interview, got the interview, I believe in part because I had worked in the Ivy League before, and, you know, met, met them for a final interview, had a great time, really connected with the staff, and was fortunate enough to you know, get hired there and spend two awesome years working with Mike and then Chaz, who is uh, one of the associate directors, assistant directors, and then uh, Eric Dolan, who's who was there. Um, he's not there anymore. He's at Stanford. But you know, learning from those three guys and then um, 
this woman Jen who was there for a while as well was a really great experience uh, for myself and then there was another assistant um, and we just had a blast in an office of five you know working all the time and I lived you know 10 minutes from my office 15 minutes so that was a great great experience just living in Philly and working at UPenn. Yeah, so you spent, like you said, the summers you were writing bios, updating some record keeping. Uh, at Stonehill, did they have you be primary contact for any sport? Yep, so yeah, Stonehill, my first year out, I was the primary contact for probably eight sports overall, you know, track and cross country, all those. And I did work all the hockey games mm-hmm. and did some statting for basketball and helped out with, you know, football, field hockey, soccer. All those types of things, but I did have some single sport responsibilities that I was in charge of. Hockey being the primary one, since it was about 15 minutes off campus, so I'd have to drive to the rink, right. bring everything I needed, do the statistics. Then, at that time, come back from the rink and um, put it all all into college hockey stats, which was an arduous process because we didn't have stack for at the time for hockey. So that I remember my first hockey game, I didn't. I was in the office till like 12, 15, 12, 30, just trying to figure out how to make college hockey sets work, and I'm pretty positive I did it incorrect. And Tim uh, emailed me the next day like, hey, you messed this up. Can you fix this? And I was like, oh, I suck at this job. <laughs> so um, was there any sort of shock going from, you know, record-keeping and bio-writing to being, you know, full-time, that contact, that person? There definitely was some of that going from, you know, my internship at Cornell, where I did get to do some game event management, working with basketball and football and other fall teams, but really not having, you know, the responsibility of writing press releases and being the last line of defense, I would say. Yeah. And there, there was a learning curve there and just really increasing my attention to detail and making sure that everything I put out was, you know, A, A-plus material and not shortchanging you know, any type of writing I did or any bios, you know, because as an undergrad, you can get away with a few spelling mistakes and still get, you know, an A minus on your paper. But right. you have any of those in a press release, yeah. your boss is going to come calling because he finds out or you read it again the next day and you're like, oh, crap, I really messed that up. So that was that was a bit of a learning experience. And my, my boss, Kevin Anderson at Stonehill, was really great about it, put me in line when I need to be. But also forgiving at the same time, and I am indebted for, to him for that. He was a great person to work with and share an office with as well. Uh, I want to know about Castleton just real briefly, and real briefly I say that because we will get to some of the things that you did there uh, here in just a moment, but like I said, getting a job, was it different going, obviously going from D1 to D3, did you take it any differently or, or was it all the same? I mean, what were, what were some things that were going through your mind? Castleton was definitely a, a life choice in terms of going back up to Vermont, where I'm originally from. I knew the uh, the SID there at the time, Jeff Weld. I knew him a little just from um, having almost taken the graduate position there two years prior before I went to Penn, but I decided not to. And then really in the spring of my second year at Penn, I knew you know it was kind of a two-year position, so I had to find another job. And I wanted to get a master's degree, and I knew I could try to go to Castleton. And so I really just set my sights on going to get a master's degree because I knew that it would help me and no matter what mm-hmm. I did after afterwards, whether it be communications, in college athletics, or higher ed, or something else in that matter. 
So I really, you know, decided that's what I want to do. Jeff was great. He hired me. And it was kind of fun to go back to Vermont after being away and not living there for, you know, seven, eight years, seven years. <laughs> and, you know, live an hour away from where I grew up, see some family some more. And it, it was a different experience for sure in terms of having to do a lot more things, work with a lot more teams. But at the same time, it was fun to get to know so many more athletes. Right. And it was a great kind of family environment in that sense. Everyone pulling together. You know, you have a smaller department. You're working with working with less, so you have to do, you know, find ways to make things work. Uh, I, I have a question about your job searching process. Did you just limit it to the Northeast? I mean, how much did you think about, you know, moving back to Vermont, like you just kind of alluded to, you were, you were away for about seven years. Um, how far away were you willing to go? I mean, what was, you know, even now your job search process like for you personally? When I started it, I was, you know, kind of first year out, oh, I kind of want to stay in the Northeast, you know, so that's where Stonehill worked out, and I got that one in, I think, July after I graduated. You know, again, applied to tons and tons of jobs, got mm. some interviews, but nothing until that one. And then when I was applying, um, after I, the Stonehill was cutting the position, they ended up cutting it for just one year. But when I was applying for other places, I was like, you know what, I'll go anywhere. I'm young, I have... You know, I was single at the time, no connections anywhere. Why not just do something crazy and fun? So I applied to Alaska Fairbanks. I applied down south. I applied to Pepperdine out in California. Uh Just anything, anywhere, you know, why not experience the world a little? And, you know, Penn ended up being as far as I went. Uh, But I would say definitely after those two years, I knew there was a comfort level and that I could get a master's degree at Castleton and, and be home and be back to the Northeast. And I was like, you know what? I really kind of do like being not too far away from my family and, you know, being back up in a place that I'm pretty comfortable. Yes. And so now I would, I would say that I'm kind of going to stay in the Northeast for a while. Okay. Um, and when you said that you, you were young, you were ready to go, I mean, you can move anywhere. How important is that? I mean, is it important for personal growth for somebody who's, you know, looking for jobs or about to be looking for jobs? I think it definitely is important to, you know, be willing to move somewhere, especially when you're, like you said, when you're young, you know, experience part of the world you're never going to maybe experience again when you're, when you have a family, when you have, you know, if you have relatives who get sick and you have to be near them, there's any number of reasons why you can't do anything later on. So, that was my philosophy is trying to do something when I was young and experience a different part of the world. And, you know, I know I've had some graduate assistants from different places and, you know, they might go back to their hometown afterwards, but I think it provided a great unique experience for them. And Mm -hmm. you to look at the different part of the country because it is just so, so different depending on wherever you are, whether you're in the Midwest, the West, the, you know, the Northwest, the South, or the Northeast, which is its own weird special animal. You know, I think it's it's kind of cool to try to experience different cultures and see how everyone runs, you know, athletics and, you know, their county, their state differently. So after being a graduate assistant at Castleton, you got the position of Director of Athletic Communications. What, I mean, that's kind of a, a, kind of a shift for some people. So what was it like going from being a GA to being the boss? Well, it was kind of a, a gradual experience. 
know, ex- experience overall. So after my first year as a graduate assistant, Jeff was actually offered the position of director of communications for the college at Castleton because that previous director um, retired, and Jeff was kind of to offer the position of kind of you know the it's the associate director position to me. And he would still oversee some day-to-day, some general big-picture things, but pretty much everything else would be, you know, under my umbrella. And it was a change for sure. But having the person who'd been there for the previous nine years, you know, just a phone call away, you know, uh-huh. a five-minute walk away, and someone who I respect and like personally and professionally, it made the transition quite easy and I had you know at that time three years experience so I felt I was ready to take on this new challenge and it definitely was a significant challenge whereas my GA year kind of felt easy a bit compared to you know my previous time as a you know full-time assistant Mm -hmm. intern at Penn just with all the timing of how I had to work different things and as a GA there was you know a little less because I had to focus on the school aspect so it was kind of fun to have that that pressure to be in charge. And, you know, there are a few missteps here and there in terms of, you know, situations you can handle better that you don't learn until you are the one that is the last line of defense. And you have to tell coaches, no, you can't pass the book to someone else. And that's, you know, what I kind of developed over my last few years at Caston is just building my, you know, my leadership style in that way and how I wanted to go about operating a full communications office. So uh, real quick, we're going to focus on, on some things at Castleton. What was it like trying to build and, and launch the first ever athletic website for an institution? Stressful. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I will say it was so, so needed because before that they didn't have any athletics website at all. It was just a, another extension of the general school's college site. And so this is two thousand. 12 is when we kind of got the approval to finally build this athletics website. But so my first year as a GA, we had to use Dreamweaver to update the athletics website anytime we wanted to update it. Uh-huh. And so I would have to be, and we couldn't get my computer to work uh, on the network, so I'd have to be on campus to update any score that was needed. And I lived a little closer than Jeff did, so there were times, you know, just because you know he's a married guy and i'm the ga i would go in on saturday night and update the football scores and all these different scores and send out the press release because you had to send it from campus so Uh that was i was so happy when we decided to go to presto or just really any content management system that wasn't adobe dreamweaver but it was a task moving all the information from that old site to the new one which was a lot of nights of copy and pasting reformatting things here and there but you know we eventually got it done you know i think it was we we wanted we found out in late late july i'd say that we could do it and we finally got the website launched just after thanksgiving maybe right around december one that was just it was just super exciting i think for personally for me to get that done and accomplished but also for our coaches, they were just so thrilled. And our student athletes, just everything looked better, crisper, cleaner. You could see people's photos. You could have good action photos, and you weren't worried about it being over, you know, 650 pixels and it being too big for the website to handle. So it was awesome. Yeah. So when you were creating that website, and, and you sat down, and you have a blank canvas, you know, just waiting for any sort of creativity. 
what was the one thing you knew you had to have? And if someone was redesigning their website uh, here, 2017, maybe 2018, what is one thing that you would say that they had to have on, on their website? One thing we definitely needed was a lot more good pictures. We just didn't really have the capacity to do that efficiently in, with the old Dreamweaver website. And I think that's pretty much universally now what everyone sees as being needed and used because just the images is what draws people in and makes them click on you know the title. For the most part, no one's reading or clicking on your story because of the great headline you have. They're looking at the image, whether it looks or whether it's a win or a loss, most likely. Right. But I think having those good images and then for us trying to create something that, you know, really coordinated the schedule and have live updates, you know, with the games going on and also integrating our social media into it as well because people, they didn't really follow us on social media much before because it was hard, much harder to do. But having integrated it into the website made it a lot easier for people and then just the visual experience of it was great. And I think that's a huge aspect for anyone creating a website is keeping it now, especially clean and crisp and not overloading with too much information. I, that's the kind of the way the trend is going, looking at what Sidearm does and what Presto do is having, you know, big blocks of spaces where the information is, but not necessarily filling it up with too much busyness and small sidebars and other uh-huh. you know things like that. I think that's kind of, the key and finding websites you like that do it well. You know, Harvard had a great website. I'm trying to think. Uh, I know, I mean, Endicott has a great one now. And um, there are a number of other places that we looked at. We're like, oh, I like the way they do this. I don't like the way they do this. So. Okay. Um, I want to shift a little bit to, to when I uh, first actually saw you. It was at the Cosida panel that you had. I just want to talk for just a second. Uh, how did you get to be on the panel? I mean, have you ever presented before? You know, tell, tell us all about that. I had not presented before ever at COSIDA. I presented at ECAC SIDA, which is a, uh, a New England regional conference two years ago um, on some stuff with social media uh, with my friend Sean Medeiros, who um, is from Endicott, and then, and then another guy who was uh, working at Endicott at the time. And that was kind of my first, like, okay, this, this is kind of a cool experience. And then last year they were looking for volunteers and in a survey I said that I'd be willing to talk about social media in some capacity and um, Wendy Meyer reached out to me and asked if I'd be a part of this panel with um, Alan and Jill uh, Price, uh, Alan from from, uh, Hope and Jill from Baylor and I was like, sure, why not do it? And I think it was a great experience to really get myself out there and talk about some things that I knew and some things that have worked for me in Division Two and Division Three, which are similar, and can offer you know just an opposed viewpoint as you kind of saw in the panel yeah. to Jill, who works at Baylor with women's basketball, and then Alan, who's at a pretty large Division Three school in Michigan. Uh, were you nervous? <laughs> I was definitely was. Uh, uh-huh. I was definitely nervous once I was sitting there and we're like, okay, we're about ready to go. Okay, okay, we can do this. But the, the days leading up to it, I wasn't too nervous. You know, I, I've known, I've been around social media. I've had social media since, you know, 10 plus years now. I got Facebook back in 2005. So I, I've been on it. I understand Twitter. I understand, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all that. It was, you know, it was a fun experience too to 
get to talk to people and listen to people's questions and learn some things as well because I definitely learned from both, you know, Alan and Jill and then all the other panels the rest of the week. Uh, just real quick, and we're going to get into kind of what the content that you provided, uh, but what were some questions you had? If anybody, if For anybody that doesn't know, you, you presented over uh, social media strategy. Uh, what were some big questions that you received uh, I don't know, before, after, maybe even still up to today about some of the things that you presented over with social media strategy before we get into it? I can't really think of any questions off the top of my head that I, I received, but I think a lot of it was just, you know, kind of based on, you know, how would you go about doing this? And just having that general conversation about, you know, both of us talking about the the restrictions we have whether it's resources, time, you know, all those things and figuring out how to make it work. Because those are the conversations that are fun, not fun in a, you know, ha-ha way, but fun yeah. to kind of wrestle with and say, you know, how are you digging, how are you making this work? How, you know, how are you able to figure this out? How do you find the time to get to do this? And I think one thing that the three of us decided not to do is focus too much on the analytics side of things because, you know, that is definitely important, but I know I don't have as much time as Jill to dive into the analytics because just of my function of being the, uh-huh. you know, person in charge of, you know, all 24 sports here at Assumption, you know, I can't get in, in deep in depth to one sport as she might to basketball. So I have to go off some generalizations and also I don't have, you know, all, I'm not going to go into all 24 of our Twitter accounts or 18 Twitter accounts and look at them all. I mean, that's something I, I want to do, especially in prep for, you know, this year and looking, you know, to next year is to figure out when the best time to publish these different types of tweets and Facebook posts are, but to just not get overwhelmed in it either. So while you were at Castleton, you were able to get Castleton break, really break into the uh, the top 25, I believe. Uh, yeah, top 25 Division three institutions on the uh, social media uh, leaderboard is that a goal that you're aiming for no matter where you're at now or was that something that you had intended at Castleton or did you kind of stumble upon it and be like oh I didn't know this I it was definitely a goal to try to be effective on social media when I was at Castleton you know being a small school in the northeast which is you know just such a huge heavily populated area in terms of you know number of colleges it was I wanted to try to get people to know about us a little, follow us through different, you know, social media platforms. There was a Twitter when I was there. There was a Facebook, bef- you know, before I got there. And, you know, we, we tried to utilize those more. Really, I, you know, would look at, you know, how I was doing it in my last few years. I started to try to really analyze, you know, what was going to work, what was going to make us more effective. And starting Instagram was one of those, one of those items that was big to me to try to really increase our followership and, you know, I was really blessed and had a great group of you know supporters in terms of GAs, but also the Castleton community was awesome in that, you know, by the time I left there last year, we were eighth in Division Three in terms of total Instagram followers. Huh. You know, and we hit 3,000 just before I left. So that was cool to see them reach that many Instagram followers in, you know, just three years. And so I really enjoyed that. And part of my um, master's degree, thesis was dealing with social media strategies so that was a part of the peak interest as well as you know can i take what i've learned and see what you know the big schools like auburn 
and even smaller Division ones like Providence, <clears throat> what do they do, and how can I try to incorporate that in my small way at a Castleton? And it was fun to see uh, teams have some success with that, and you know, people respond, whether it's students and student-athletes, and the more you do it, the students, I'd see them in the hallway, they'd be like, hey, when are you going to put my photo up? Like, you know... So that was that yeah. was fun to you know have that general ribbing going on at Castleton. And I've gotten some of that at Assumption since people have found out you know I'm the guy that posts the photos. You know people are you know ready to always ready to pose for a good photo if they know it's going on social media. So that was kind of fun to see that culture change when I was at Castleton and to experience that here too. Uh, okay, you've you've definitely piqued my interest here, especially when you wrote your thesis on it. So when you were writing that. And you were trying to come up with some sort of, you know, formula for a social media strategy. And like you said, you looked at Auburn, Providence. I mean, what were some consistencies, excuse me, English is hard, uh, that you saw across the board, whether it be all divisions, that you saw that said, this works and this doesn't work? What, what were some of those things? Thinking of my thesis, which sometimes I try to forget that I wrote that, but I, I'm very, very proud of doing that. And it was... It was fun to do and be able to do it in social media. You know, and looking back on it, I finished it in 2014. You know, some things seem common sense now, but I think yeah. one of the biggest, the biggest tenant I saw, and I, you know, relate to my my bosses, and they both agreed, um, was just the the importance of making it a priority. You know, if you're going to do it, you need to try to really focus on making a priority and strategize as if you would strategize for you know, a marketing campaign in print or something like that and treat it as another branch of, you know, your communication strategy at a school. And then one of the other things I focused on in terms of looking at what they did, those other schools, is they really used, one, they used great photos and we didn't have access to a great photographer all the time, but we could get some good photos and that ended up leading us to buying a a better uh, camera but getting good photos and then trying to focus on getting close-up shots. You know, when I my last few years there and still now at Assumption, you know, if you can use a full-body shot or a, you know, a chest up, you know, mid-waist up, I'd focus on that because you get a lot more emotion in the people's faces and seeing their faces, there's a more visceral response from the consumer than if you just do a full-body shot, unless it's some crazy flip or something like uh-huh. that. You're able to read the people's expression. You're looking at their expression because you want to see what they're feeling and see what they're, you know, what they're doing. Whether it's yelling, you know, in excitement, screaming out of anger, or just general pain, or sometimes, you know, even awkwardness. Getting that close-up view was big for me and part of a big part of my strategy on social media those last few years. Um. So, uh, real quick. Actually, I just lost it. I can't believe I just lost it. But when you were looking across um, the entire board, like I, like I alluded to earlier, uh, were there some things that you saw that you wanted to do at Castleton or maybe even now at Assumption that you just don't have the resources for? I mean, are there some things that you're what, – what are some things that you're trying to work for? I think for us, there's always you know things we wish we could do more of. And social media is definitely one of them. I wish I had the time to have a full-time designer where we can do really awesome you know, player of the week graphics or you know multiple schedule posters with different people on them or really spend 
you know, hours and hours and hours creating this phenomenal graphic you might see at the Division One level. But the reality of it is, especially when I was at Calston and even, you know, some here at Assumption, we have a limited time and resources. You know, when I was at Calston, there was, you know, by the end we had 26, 27 sports. And so you're worrying about creating some level of, you know, equal representation or fair representation no. for those sports because it's not going to be equal. You know, we all know that I've worked at only, you know, schools that football, football is going to get up a lot of attention, but make sure you're being fair to the other schools, the other sports, because they're important and they work very hard at what they do. So it's tough to give, you know, a level of equality to those different sports when you have so little time and not biting off more than you can chew is something I worry about in terms of just trying to create this awesome graphic and then you have to replicate it for you know 20 so other sports so that to me is you know something that i struggle with still in trying to provide a great product but not overdo myself and overextend myself or my graduate assistants uh how and how often do you implement the use of graphics as opposed to just a straight up photo for most of our post-game uh victory um I'd say graphics. We do some type of in, this year um, at Assumption, and when I was my last year at Caston, we would do the score in the graphics, so people would know what the score was, and maybe you know a one note about who the best player was, or if someone had two home runs, or you know something like that. But I think there's a there definitely have to have a mix of you know graphics and then straight up photos. But also, if you're using the graphics, you know, especially with what I'm doing and how I want to, you know keep it relatively i talk about being clean and crisp i like some you know less is more and not overwhelming the photo with with graphics so if i do have graphics you can still see the entire image but i do you know photos are very important especially if you're trying to market the school and showing school shots and other items from around campus or just a great phenomenal action photo of someone screaming and jumping you know those are awesome to use when you have them uh so if Okay, say someone wants to revamp, overhaul their social media strategy. They're just not getting engagement. They're just not getting any sort of traction as far as following goes. What are some real basic, you know, formula things you would say? Uh, maybe just a couple things. I mean, it doesn't have to be a whole entire strategy. But uh, what are some things that you would suggest to them when they're trying to increase their presence or increase their engagement? Where, would, where should they start? I think if you're looking at, you know, a general social media strategy, you know, Facebook, you know, they each have different audiences. And that's one of the other things that, you know, I talked about in my in my thesis and that, you know, we all kind of know in you know, Facebook, you're reaching, you know, alumni, parents, mm. people who might care about the program, but aren't involved in the program necessarily. And some students are on that as well. But that's not their primary, you know, viewing vehicle. And then you know, Twitter is you know, skews younger and is your news cycle. And getting a lot of pictures on Twitter, I think, is a way to, you know, make some relevancy there and also making sure that that's where people know to go for information. And that was one aspect of, you know, talking with some students when I was at Castleton and then also, you know, looking at how I wanted to run that application. If students know and, you know, newspapers know that the best way to find a score is to either go to your website or look on Twitter because you'll have it up right after the game. People will start following you on Twitter because they want that information. Hopefully, you know if they yeah. 
you, you can't force people to want that information, but if that's where the information is located, people will naturally gravitate towards that. And then Instagram, you know, it's the same type of, you know, the more photos you post of different people, different student athletes showcasing them, the more they're likely to follow you, their friends are likely to follow you because they'll comment about, you know, the picture to their friend about how they looked, you know, awful or ridiculous because that's what, you know, you'll do as a college student, make fun of your friend. Uh But posting a lot of those photos, I think was, you know, I think it was a good decision for us and that's one thing I still try to do because it's fun to do. And then also if you know, if you know there's people in certain athletic teams that are large influencers, you know, they're a popular person, a lot of people like, if it's between posting a photo of them and someone that you know that the team doesn't like, definitely post the one that people like because it's going to get a lot higher response rate and many more impressions than someone they don't like. Uh, As far as pumping out content is concerned, I know you said that the place to go for you guys would be for Twitter, but in terms of communication, uh, with that, with your alumni and your parents, maybe even student athletes, uh, media, how do you communicate that Twitter's the place to be for score updates? Instagram is where you go just for maybe emotional game photos, and then Facebook—I I don't know—might be a place to go for recaps. How do you communicate that? It's a good question. I think it kind of—you can't really explain it so much as you can show it. Okay. Yeah, they talk about, you know, don't tell me, show me. And that's one way you kind of show is you provide the information primarily in those spots. You know, I will put up some game recaps um, and other, you know, a few time-sensitive items on Facebook. But I'm going to focus, and I've seen the most success in putting, you know, we had a golf tournament last month. Putting the golf tournament video up on Facebook, we had multiple comments from tons of alumni who were like, oh, it's a great event. I had so much fun. You know, things like that, you see them respond and then, you know, they see others respond and they're kind of like, okay, this is where I go. This is where I can get that that side of entertainment because with the way Facebook, it kind of, it will just, you know, kind of pop up in their news feed if their friends are seeing it. And these are the things their friends would look at most likely on Facebook. And I'm not going to post about a regular season, you know, 9 nothing soccer loss on Facebook at all because – it's going to get zero traction, and then people are going to be like, wow, oof, that was a rough game. Twitter I will because I want to make sure they know that's where they can go for the information, but I'm not going to pump it up and post it two, three times I might with a big you know, conference playoff win. Okay. Uh, so if, tell me if I've got this right or wrong. So basically what we've, what we've just talked about, a few basic things I've taken away from you. Uh, capture the emotion. Uh, know your audience, know your platform, and really just listen to uh, your audience. Is am I getting? Am I on the right track there? I would say yeah. I, I'd say you're on the right track. And you know, talking to you know, in terms of knowing your audience, you know, I have aunts and uncles on Facebook. I have friends on Facebook. I know what, and I'm on Facebook. I know what I'm looking for. You know, and I'm, and I, I know talking to student athletes. I ask them what they're looking for in Instagram. You know, what what would you want to see? And just asking some of those questions and getting responses back and seeing what works and what doesn't work, looking at your data, saying, okay, I get a higher correlation of posts and impressions and reach with these type of posts. I'm going to kind of transition my strategy, and it's different at every school. So you have to kind of navigate and you said, like, know your audience that sense. That's where 
going in looking at the data helps in you know a lot of those applications. With looking at the data, uh, I mean, over the past years, ha- how often have you changed your social media strategy? Uh, not too too much. It, Instagram has always been the same. I mean, it's once I was like, okay, I'm just gonna post a lot of great, you know, good, as many good photos as I can and some and graphics. That's that's maintained its, you know, its same spot. Facebook, there was a while about, you know, do you post, do you post the article? Do you post an article, but you post it, um, post a link to the article in a photo caption. You know, there was that, you know, figuring out the best way to figure out Facebook's algorithm because that's really uh-huh. what you're trying to do with Facebook. Twitter and now actually Instagram too is how can you work with the algorithm and Facebook's been great saying hey we're changing it up this is what we're doing you know for instance for a while we used to post um, when we put, we put a video on YouTube say it's a championship game recap if you put the video on YouTube we would post the link to YouTube on Facebook and Twitter okay. now we would looking at what the what the data says you want to post that video right to Facebook because your reach and your impressions are three, four times higher posting the video natively on Facebook because Facebook will promote it so much, its own content so much more than YouTube's content. It just goes so much further and so many more people see it because all they have to do when they're going down their feed, it starts playing naturally, as you probably know. And same thing with Twitter. Now you can do you know two, three-minute videos on Twitter post it right on Twitter, people can share it, they can see it in the app. It just makes the, the barriers so much less for the consumer. Uh, last question before we move on here. Uh, and disclaimer before I say this or before you answer anything, uh, what would work for you may not work for somebody else and what hasn't worked for you may work for somebody else. But uh, what, what is one or a couple strategies that you, that you have had that just straight up didn't work for you? I would say posting losses on Facebook, you know, regular season big losses. We we tried that, and I just got no engagement from it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we we explored posting uh, at Caston some losses on with Instagram graphics, and I really got no engagement off that because people, you know, they can find out they'll they'll figure it out, but they don't. They're not going to like a loss, and so why why remind them of that? That's one thing, you know, and. Some people do, and for some sports you do need to do, but that's one thing I've kind of, you know, shied away from is really, you know, you're going to have to talk about the losses, but really just work a focus on promoting, you know, the wins and all the other great things that, you know, the student athletes, coaches, and fans, you know, do for your, your programs. So I'd say that's, that's one thing I've kind of, you know, learned in the way I've adjusted and from those other experiences. What's been, I, I, I lied, I'm sorry. What's been your favorite uh, strategy that you've implemented that really worked? Yeah, I would say in terms of strategies I've implemented, I, th- I think it's the decision to post videos natively in Facebook. And that's kind of, you know, easy to say now and to do now. But just the, the growth rate and the engagement rate you get from, you know, items like that and posting things on Facebook generally that are, you know, school pride, whether it's someone winning an academic award or a golf tournament, you know, raising money for student athletes or showcasing student athlete awards, people really respond to that. 
And it, sometimes it shocks me how much people do. And, you know, because I think people want to see good content. And there's so much competition that you really just got to, you know, find the best things and put them on Facebook. You can't put everything on there. Where do you see podcasting on all this, huh? I'm a fan of podcasting. Good. I, it's one thing I've I, I've thought about maybe one day, you know, that assumption we, we get into, but you got to find the right, you know, the right student or, uh-huh. you know, the right topic and how you want to do it. But I think it's a great medium. I mean, I listen to podcasts all the time as a way to, you know, when I'm driving places, it's just a different, you know, variation besides listening to music. But there's so much information to be gleaned from podcasts. And you get to know people much better than you would in a, you know, a five-minute interview. I've heard, you know, Bill Simmons talk about it. And just the way you can learn about a person so much better through a podcast. And just especially at, you know, Division One level where you're dealing with big-time athletes. You know, and even Division Two and Division Three, you know, people can get to know student-athletes much better than you might otherwise. So I think there's definitely potential for podcasting, you know, in athletic departments. Uh, what's your favorite one not called SID Cast? My favorite one, so I can't choose SID Cast? You can if you want. It would mean a lot to me. But anyway, you don't have to. <laughs> uh, I don't there, think this is even good my podcasts favorite. out there, though. Mm-hmm. I got uh, Solid Verbal is my favorite, so there's my favorite. I mean, this one, if I didn't have to choose SID Cast, Solid Verbal. Would definitely okay. be mine. Uh, what about you? Uh, I tend towards, you know, I, I do like the Bill Simmons podcast. I enjoy that. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. I really enjoyed listening to that every, comes out every week or so for this summer. It's coming out every week. Just a lot of interesting stories Malcolm Gladwell tells about um, the subject of this his summer series this year is, you know, power and a lot of to do with, you know, race, racial relations. So a lot of interesting stories to deal with that. And then um, I listened to uh, Watch the Thrones, which is a Game of Thrones oh, podcast yeah. that um, is done by, or so Talk the Thrones, that's what it is. Uh, it's done by some people at The Ringer. It's because I, I watched the Game of Thrones and I, I enjoy that show. So I like that podcast. They break some things down pretty well. Uh, what's been your favorite memory of professional tenure? favorite memory it's a tough one because there's just so many memories having been in this i say so long i've only starting my 10th year um this fall i would say winning one of my my favorite earliest memory um was working with the Penn volleyball team my first year and winning the conference championship at princeton in a match that um Every single set went to extra points, and then we went we went to the NCAA tournament, and that was just an amazing experience. Getting to, you know, play in the NCAA tournament at um, we played at Penn State, so that was really cool to to experience that in a, a great a great moment. And then I would say, you know, another highlight would be when we were at Castleton, winning three championships in one weekend conference championships so that was really crazy weekend but Uh it was so awesome to see have so many of our student athletes you know just getting to experience that with them because all three of those championships were at home as well uh what about on the other side what's your biggest horror story biggest horror story there's 
there's a few just in terms of, you know, just those times when you're so, you're so drained and you feel so at the end of the line. I think, I think those are the, those are the general stories that in the times that stick out to me, uh-huh. um, you know, for instance, you know, it's, not, it's tough to say horror story, but in terms of general stress level, working the pen relays when I was at UPenn, oh. um, just working, we, my second year at counted it was we worked 43 hours in three days and that, that was just me each a few of us worked so a few people worked more than i did but just your level of exhaustion afterwards dead tired but that was that was fun in that sense i think the biggest horror stories for me are when i misspell something and then find it you know five minutes later on the press release and it's already out i've done that before misspelled people's names hometowns got the wrong person in the story so that those are those are my many, many horror stories. Um, when you look around, maybe in your conference division country, uh, and, and you look at an SID and you say, that that is a great SID, uh, what are some things that they do or some characteristics that they have uh, that make you say that? One, I think, you know, having, it sounds to say, like some patience and kindness because we all, you know, we're all in this together and sometimes we screw up and we mess things up, you know, if I mess up the stats and I get them to you an hour later, just a, you know, hey, no problem, thanks for getting them to me, something like that, that really resonates with me. And then people who are willing to go, you know, the extra mile to help you out and people who just maintain that positive attitude, you know, within the stressful environment and put out continually good content. You know, I think the content you put out speaks for itself but also in terms of the way you conduct yourself and how you interact with those in your community is huge as well because, you know, there's people that are well more well-liked than others. I think a lot of it has to do with not the quality of work, but the quality of the person and the way they treat others and act around others. Uh, one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Learn a lot of different skills in terms of you have to be able to do a lot of different things as, you know, NSID, and I think that's pretty commonly said. But one of the other important things, too, is being able to write. You know, if you can't write a simple press release or I have to look it over consistently, like that's going to make, you know, my job as the head person tougher. So I think being able to, being able to write and then have, you know, skills to learn how to do video, learn how to take photos, because you're not going to know everything right away, but not pigeonholing yourself into one, you know, one aspect. Uh, what's one thing you're more interested about to learn more about in this profession? I'm interested to really, you know, in the next year or so, you know, do some more learning with video and video streaming. Uh, when I'm at Castleton, we outsourced a lot of our videos, so I didn't have to do a lot of the webcasting. And then this year at Assumption, that was not the case. We produced all our broadcasts with, you know, another company. So, you know, learning how that worked and using Wirecast and programs like that for the first time was a new experience. So this year, really getting into that and figuring out how to create better, higher quality broadcasts is something that I'm looking forward to personally, and hopefully the the end result will show for itself. Um, Work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? (laughs) Um, Work-life balance is, you know, always a struggle. Yeah. Any any SAD will tell you, but there is, 
you know, things you have to do. I'd say for fun, I like to play, you know, pick up sports when I can, you know, or go for a run. We work after, you know, I'm probably going to go for a workout or for a run this evening. And, you know, if I can't do that, you know, I'll do other things. I've played intramurals at every single college I've ever worked at. So I've, and I've won, you know, I've been able to be on some teams with, you know, undergrads, coaches, other people. And that's, that's always a fun experience because it allows you, you know, the other student athletes to see you in a different light and get to know. So that's been fun. And if I'm not, you know, working out, you know, whether it's, you know, watching TV, hanging out with friends, you know, I, I have, I'm engaged. So, you know, spending time with my fiance. So those are things that I do. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Next time someone is in, and you're going to have to help me out again, Wooster area yeah i mean is that is that a place people go <laughs> um next uh, time somewhat yeah i mean it's it's becoming more of a, a destination place i'd say it's one of the biggest cities in new england actually fun fact huh fun fact i did not know that but next time someone is in that area what's your restaurant maybe even bar recommendation restaurant recommendation there's a there's a lot of good ones um there's a really good mexican place called mezcal in the city okay uh, that i that i enjoy and then um, good burger place as well called uh, The Fix. They have a lot of different kinds of burgers. So those are some local joints. And then there's some good uh, some good beer around here too. Wormtown is a local brewery in the city. And then another one, Flying Dreams. So it, there's some there's some good things to do around here. And, you know, a lot of parks in, in, the, in the general vicinity if you want to go hiking. Okay. Uh, if anybody had any questions or maybe want to follow up with you about maybe social media strategy or just to say you did a good job from this, uh, what would be the best way to do it? I would say either uh, either on Twitter, uh, where my handle is uh, Benj uh, underscore stock, or um, probably via email, which is just um, bd.stockwell at assumption.edu. And I'm always open to conversations and talking with people who want to get involved with social media and this profession in general because I've had a good time in it so far and it's taught me a lot about how to work professionally and just you know how to live all right all right Josh or not Josh hang on uh all right uh Ben thanks for coming on I really do appreciate it It wasn't too bad was it no no not bad at all you know just uh you know gotta go home make some dinner now and you know get on with the rest of the evening because it's hard to believe it's so late in the week yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's just hot yeah. like, all the time, man. It just really sucks. But uh, anyway, thank you all for listening and downloading this podcast. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button or maybe even just take a second or two to run over to the uh, ratings and reviews page over on iTunes uh, and leave us a rating. Um, we do have a five-star average at this point in time. I know this at the time of this recording, it's a little bit earlier in August, and then when this is released, it'll be uh, later in August, which is still strange to me. The fact that I'm booked for a month, uh, that's something I never thought I'd be able to say, but I am very, very grateful. Thank you to you all who have done that. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and also go over to Twitter and Facebook and uh, give us a follow or a like. You can do that at Sports Infocast because SIDcast is already taken. Um, as we're on our way to 500 followers on both of those platforms. And be sure to look out on Instagram. We will have some Instagram takeover days, uh, a day in the life basically, of some SIDs that will be on the pod, maybe have already been on the pod. I mean, let's, 
like I mentioned in the episode where Jason interviewed me, I want to make you guys rock stars. So if you are interested in doing that, maybe you quite don't quite want to be on the podcast, but are interested in hosting uh, an Instagram takeover day, hit me up. You can email me for anything at sportsinfocast at gmail.com. So um, next week we will have Katie Gwen Hewitt of Michigan on. So be sure to look out for that. And I hope to catch you all in the next episode.